everybody. Welcome to another Park Report podcast interview. This is Roy Avon. I hope everybody's doing okay out there. Uh, this is a very special podcast. Uh, actually, we did this one as a video interview as well because our special guest on this episode is none other than Dream Theater's John Petrucci, who is back with a solo album, his second, 15 years later after his first one, called Terminal Velocity. comes out on August 28th on streaming and on October 30th on CD and vinyl. I'm really pleased to welcome Mr. John Petrucci. How you doing, man? What's going on, Roy? How good are you? to uh, I'm doing great. Good to see you on here. I love the album cover in the background. Yeah, we'll I'm talking floating about that. in my my own virtual space over here. Yeah. How <laughs> how was the world of Zoom uh, treating you? Were you using Zoom bef- at all before three months ago? <laughs> no, I was not using Zoom at all. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Obviously, it's become a tool that so many people have used. And there's other ones as well. Like uh, there's a couple of different platforms that I've done interviews and podcasts on. Depends, I guess, on what people are comfortable with or what they have access to. But it works really well. It does. It does. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we both have our, our little backgrounds here and everybody's learned how to play with those, which is which makes it a lot of fun. I guess, uh, it does. You, you know. We want to talk about the new album, the solo record, and a bunch of other things. Uh, but let's let's mention that first, Terminal Velocity. Uh, so out on streaming services, um, August 28th, and then out on physical, October 30th. Um, so that's sort of not a, a common approach to releasing things, right? So what right. played into that a little bit for you? Right. So there, there was a lot of thought put into that. I mean... Um, I recorded this music between March and May earlier this year. It, it was done and ready. Um, there's a certain amount of lead time needed to create things like vinyl um, right. and to to get stuff distributed uh, properly um, as far as physical product is concerned. So part of the time I spent was setting up uh, a distribution deal with the Orchard Music, which is turning out to be great through through uh, my own record label, Sound My Music. That took some time. So, you know, with all that in mind and deadlines and things like right. that, October 30th is kind of the earliest this could have come out uh, as far as physical. But, you know, I was thinking, man, I, I don't really want to wait that long to get my music out. You know, I'm doing this because I love playing guitar. I love writing. It's fun. The album is real positive. I want to share it with people. I don't yeah. really want to wait. So this is a conversation um, I had uh, with the Orchard and the different methods, and also with you. Full disclosure: you're my publicist here. <laughs> we've we've had this conversation, and it could have went either way. I could have waited for the music and put it all out at once, which would have been a more traditional approach and campaign, right. but. We talked about this. It's like, I just, I wanted to get the music out. I want to share it. I don't want to wait until, you know, almost November. Yeah, and it's, so that's, it's yeah. really a different world nowadays in terms right. of getting music out, right? So, right. I mean, some people argue, uh, do you need an album anymore, for instance? Sure. And, and there's some genres where maybe that works. I don't, right. I don't think this one is made for that, really. You know, yeah. the, the prog and sort of metal and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But... But yeah, I mean, people, your fans, I think, or at least we discussed, would, you know, they they would own, they would want to buy the record no matter when it came out. Because when you're a fan and a longtime fan of a certain artist, really sometimes of any genre, you, you want to 
it's invested. You've invested years into following this person. And so it's almost like getting to hear it early and then owning it a month later. Right. That's great. You know, kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was, I was trying to, uh, to wear that hat, if you will, you know, if I were a fan it, and it's like, I think that you're right. It's, it's, it has to do with the type of listeners, um, you know, dream theater followers and fans and my own and, um, you know, people that appreciate this kind of music, prog fans, metal fans, I think, um, sort of desire physical versions of music, right. which I love. I love that. I think that's awesome. I think the artwork gets to shine. I think people have something they can hold in their hands and add to their collection. And I totally see why. And I get it. And at the same time, um, in this digital age, it's you can get music out a lot quicker. Um, there are so many platforms, whether they're downloads or streaming or whatever, that are all great tools for artists to use to get music out that wasn't there before. So, you know, maybe if this I, Dream Theater probably wouldn't do things this way. Right. You know, we tend to do more traditional everything out at once. But for this guitar instrumental music written now, it's like I want it to be out you know, summertime as it is, it's like kind of the end of the summer, Right. but, uh, it's, it's sort of the album feels good to listen to. It's positive. I wanted to get it out to people. So this, no, this sounded like the, the best way to do it. Uh, and it sounds great. And the first single is out. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting is, um, there seems to be a lot of younger prog metal instrumental bands out these days, trios and things like that, that mm. I've seen. And I know, you know, a lot of the players, um, and, and they're doing very well considering this type of music that they do, which yeah. is amazing and, and great. You know, um, did you guys ever, when you were starting out back then, because you were introducing such, you know, chops and shredding and, and instrumentality that no one had heard at that time, um, was there ever a thought to doing straight instrumental and just doing that when you were having a hard time finding a singer? You know, it's it's funny that you said it, it probably was something that crossed our minds, you know, especially in the very early days um, when we John, me and John Young and Mike Portnoy we were at Berkeley and we were auditioning people there and auditioning some singers. And yeah, there were po points where we we're like, this really could just be <laughs> instrumental and it would be fine, you know, but I think that, you know, for for all of us, we were such big fans of the bands that influenced us. Um, as much as instrumental music was was a part of of our lives, you know, listening to the Dregs or Aldemiol or Fusion stuff like that, you know, we were mostly like drawn into this whole thing and influenced by the big bands that we all related to: Rush, Yes, Iron Maiden, Metallica, whatever. And those are all vocal bands. There's all right. a message there. Pink Floyd. There's something that um, you know, a story that you could tell in that sense. And, and so we realized that like, we don't want to just, and when I say just, I'm not saying anything against it, but we, sure. we don't want to just be an instrumental band. We want this to be something, uh, something more than that. And so the cool thing is, you know, looking back at that decision, not that there was some sort of crosswords where crossroads where we said, all right, are we doing one or the other? It was just kind of happened and we had discussions, but looking back, um, I kind of get to do a bit of both. Really? Yeah, you know? really. 
Right. So be in a van, a band with a vocalist and, you know, do that a whole side of my career and develop that. Um, and then also release instrumental music. So, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm lucky to be able to do both in that sense. Yeah, no, it's great. It has worked out. I mean, and, and certainly there's no, no shortage of playing that you get to do on the, on the dream theater records. Um, but That's speaking right. of, yeah. uh, speaking of terminal velocity, so 15 years since suspended animation, um, right. I, I imagine this is the first question you've you've been asked by by everybody. Uh, you know what took so long, but obviously you were doing Dream Theater and touring and and, and right. that whole cycle. Were there other periods where you started down the road and there were false starts and and you maybe got two mm. songs into an album and then and then a tour happened and that kind of right. Thing? Well, that that's actually how I did suspended animation. That was kind of done piecemeal like that. I, I don't I didn't really enjoy that process because it's like I'd like to put my head down and get the work done, right. you know, all at once. Um, so spending a couple of days at the studio and then driving home and having to get ready for a tour. In fact, I remember recording the tracks for suspended animation and in between, you know, while the engineer was doing something, I'd be like practicing, learning like the songs for the Dream Theater tour where I, that I was leaving for the following week. Um, so you know, for an example, Terminal Velocity took me about three months from beginning to end. Having that chunk of time like that is a rarity. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, I planned on starting it this year. Obviously, the, the pandemic and the situation uh, in the world it allotted me more time than I thought. And I was able to get it all done. But, you know, most touring musicians um, don't get that, those kind of chunks of time. And I didn't I didn't have any false starts with this, as, as you said. Um, and I didn't want to do it piecemeal the way that I did suspended. So, or, you know, I, I don't know if I was just waiting for the perfect moment to do it. That never came until now. Right. Um, be careful what you wish for, I guess. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just, it worked out. So I'm glad I finally got it done. You were supposed to be on tour, I guess, still. Yeah. So time? we, yeah, a, a little bit. We didn't have a ton of touring left. We had done a majority of the touring in support of Distance Over Time and celebrating scenes from a memory. Um, but we did, unfortunately, our friends uh, in Asia and that part of the world, Australia, Japan, South Korea, etc., Southeast Asia, never got to see this tour because it was supposed to happen uh, in the spring in April, April, May. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we were supposed to be on tour, but even, even with that in mind, I had enough time in between to probably get this done, but you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm not glad for anything that has happened in the world as far as the pandemic. Sure. Not at all, but I'm glad that I used the time productively to get this done because I, I think that that was important for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of artists it. that have been really busy and, mm -hmm throwing themselves back into recording, writing. I'm yeah. sure there'll be a ton of new albums coming out through next Absolutely. year from Total people. And I mean, we, your other, uh, assuming you have, you know, a ton of musician friends and people that maybe you're, you're touching base with. Yeah. Um, are you, you know, the majority of them happy for the break? Uh, are, are, are you happy for the break? Are you, itching to get back if it was tomorrow to go right back on tour what right. what sort of what are people in the music community saying as far as that well most musicians you know to an extent especially heavy touring musicians 
you know, it to some degree welcome, you know, the idea that there's there's a an extended break that none of us have really had for a really long time. Um, that probably would be an easier uh, pill to swallow, knowing that you know it was it was done on purpose, and you knew when you were going to continue. Yeah. But having an extended break, not knowing when it's going to end or what it's going to look like when it starts back up, um, that's unsettling. And a lot of musicians, uh, uh, friends of mine, you know, we we've spoke of that. So as welcome as it is in some sense to like have finally some time home. I mean, all of us were away from our families. We don't get to spend summers and I'm not complaining. I don't want to sound like I'm whining, but just the part of traveling that much is that right. it's part of the gig. Yeah. The time. Yeah. So, you know, being able to spend family time um, and, and do things together in that sense has been great. But I mean, even that, if you think about it, um, that isn't even normal because so many family members we weren't able to get together with and see and uh, events were, you know, canceled, graduations, birthdays, the normal things that you would do and that would be big family moments just didn't happen or happened via Zoom or whatever. So, um, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's definitely weird. You know, <laughs> we're going if we start to go down that rabbit hole, it gets weird. But yeah. again, I, I think for most um, whether you're tired of this or happy for the time off or itching to get back on the road. I think most musicians that I talk to um, have been very active right. uh, and, you know, it's just part of the nature of being a creative person. It's like you like to write. It's, create, I mean, it's great to have you know, that outlet, yeah. right? Exactly. And, yeah. You know, otherwise, how would you be filling your days? I guess. Right. The, exactly. The question. Yeah, um, exactly. So I guess the big news uh, with the new album, obviously, is is Mike Portnoy playing drums on it. And, uh, you know, you secretly kind of dropped those nuggets over the Internet leading up to, mm -hmm. to everything and surprised everybody. Um, in the in the last few years, you guys have have maintained sort of a, a connection and and you've teased little pictures of you know, being together sure. on New Year's Eve or, or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm just curious. I always thought they know they're taking this picture and they know they're breaking the internet when they post this, <laughs> right? Like, was there sort of like, let's have some fun with the fans. Let's post this or, or was it not thought of at all like that? Just having a little fun, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, th those results are byproducts of photos like that. Um, because thankfully we do have so many people in the world that care and, and that pay attention and that are happy about, you know, moments like that about us being together and i totally see why and relate to that um but the, they stem from very innocent you know we're hanging out let's snap a picture it's kind of that right. it's the moment of should we share this necessarily you know should it go on social well, how, media how it's much like, thought is it is it like you know an like, hour of of debate what, yeah what it might kinda, happen you know i mean not really so much but it's kind of like i know mike's attitude is like you know what the, this is, this is cool. It's fun. It's like, let's share a happy moment. Yeah, you know? sure. And, and, and I, and I like that. And it's like, you could, you know, you could take those moments and decide you want to, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go there, but at the end of the day, it's like they're happy moments and the, the reaction from people, including Mike playing on this record, um, it has all been really positive and really cool to see. And for me, 
you know, listen, Mike and I grew up together. Um, I met him at Berkeley. We were teenagers. We were 18. We're in a band together 25 years. Our families uh, have been friends forever. Our wives were in the same band together. All our kids grew up together and our friends. There's a relationship there that doesn't just end. Right. And to be able to like play music with my friend again after 10 years of not doing that is really cool for the for the both of us, you know? Yeah. And uh, I selfishly get to live in this kind of duality where uh, my solo music, uh, you know, I, I get to have Mike Portnoy play drums. And in Dream Theater, I get to have Mike Mangini play drums. And it's like, I have two of the most incredible drummers on the planet sure. I get to play with. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not losing out over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's it's really nice for me. There was something great, you know, and I've had a chance to hear the record. And there is something cool about uh, hearing the two of you together again playing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds... And here's the crazy thing. I know it wasn't recorded live together, right. but it totally sounds like it. And it sounds like you're in the same room right. and it has that kind of vibe. And it sounds like, you know, Portnoy Petrucci kind of thing. It, it, I don't know. It's just maybe it's putting my own things as being a longtime fan. But I really feel like it's a genuine sound that comes across from from listening to the record. Sure. I, I've heard that comment a lot. I think that's awesome. You know, it, it's pretty uh, miraculous how that is the case because I, I wrote the music uh, and recorded it all as far as the guitar tracks, um, programmed drums, played played bass, me and Jimmy T, my engineer, and the songs were done, completed. So, you know, Mike and Dave received that music and basically had to ingest it and learn it. Um, but, you know, it, it might have sounded completely different if it was another drummer who maybe took that interpretive drum programming and played it exact and tried to, right. you know, please me in that sense. And to, you know, just almost play like a drum machine, but you know, for Mike, that's not his style. And, right. uh, he point blank, point blank asked me, do you want me to play exactly what you programmed? I'm like, no, like do your thing. And, uh, if there's anything that's musically needs to be there, I'll let you know, and, which there were a few moments like that. But I think because of that and because of the way that he plays drums, you know, he's very um, instinctual. He's very intuitive. Um, he and, and having made music together for all those years, he kind of knows, you know, how to approach those guitar moments yeah. and parts. And, and uh, the result is that it sounds like we're playing together. There's this familiarity um, that we feel as musicians and as friends and that people pick up on, um, you know, it, that it just happens organically. Um, it's part of the way that Mike plays. It's sort of the spirit that he infused into it. And it's also worth mentioning that Dave LaRue did the same thing. Mike actually came up to my studio and tracked drums and I, we were able to be together um, while he was doing that. Dave recorded remotely, but you know, he as well lifted these songs to the next level. He's tracking to pre-recorded guitar parts. Mm. You know, there's some bass reference there and still he made it his own. He made, you know, took it to the next level. And that's a testament to what great musicians they both are. So, yeah, Dave, you know, I mean, Dave is yeah. just, 
one of the best bass players in the world. And, and yeah, uh, Dave is so phenomenal. And I have so much experience with him because of G3 and my right. camps. Um, I've done a lot of touring with Dave, a lot of playing. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it, there is that instinctual relationship there, too, where he's played with me a lot, you know. Hmm. Um, we've done a lot of live shows together and he knows the way I play and how to fill things out and everything. So yeah, those guys just did a phenomenal job. You know, it's really, one of the really. things that I always liked about Mike's playing, um, uh, with dream theater with, you know, with other things that he does and, and on this record as well is that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's expected to do, you know, crazy double bass or crazy runs or, or whatever it is. But I right. like a lot of times when in between all of that, he just does a straight four four groove. Yeah, and I think he does that as good as anybody, and it just sounds right. really natural. And it's right. it's very cool. It's right in the pocket. Those moments are so important. You yeah, know, that's 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 most of the moments on on you know in any given music, and you're right. And and there, you know, when people get to listen to this, and I've said this before, but it's guitar instrumental music, so I'm ex I'm exploring different styles and feels and it's not just like you know any metal drummer can come in and do this and just has to do double bass and you play wicked fills right. like there's feels in there yeah you know there's pop feels there's latin there's uh shuffle there's blues and uh mike nailed all that stuff and it's a testament again to his talent as a drummer and how he interprets that but i agree with you it's those tasty moments during grooves you know whether it be like hi-hat work or cymbal splashes and things like that yeah. that are all little ear candy moments uh or when those grooves are right in the pocket like you said um that that really helped to drive the music here absolutely right there, there's a couple of uh i mean the whole album's amazing but a couple of standout tracks that i really like um the odd father which is which is great cool. that's a new one that i get you haven't played on the g3 tours right that's not no one of those, yeah which that's is just amazing uh happy song um, I guess that one you did play that um, one. So the two that I played uh, previously that people will be familiar with who either came to see G3 three along the years or came to my guitar universe camp. Um, the two songs are happy song and glassy eyed zombies. I played yeah. those live. I never recorded them officially. I only had demos and only played them live. So these are the first official recordings, but yeah, people might have heard those two. Before. How do you come up with instrumental titles for songs? <laughs> where where well, is the inspiration from? Yeah, I, it, I start to collect them. I collect them as soon as I hear them. Like if I hear a phrase, you know, or a word, and I'm like, that would be a great instrumental. I, okay. I'll literally, I'll put it right in my phone. And, and so <laughs> I have a list. A lot of musicians do that. Um, some of them happen on the spot. Uh, you know, some they come from all different places. Gemini was named from my wife's father, named by my wife's father. He's no longer with us. Um, but a long time ago, I, you know, mid 90s when I had that song written, I played it for him. And he's, he said, That should be called Gemini. And so that came from there. That's you great. know, a, a song like Temple of Circadia, I, I don't know, I came up with that <laughs> one day and I just put it in my hat and when I wrote that song, I'm like, that song should be Temple of Circadia, you know, and some and some of the song titles with instrumental music are silly and tongue in cheek. And um, I mean, glassy eyed zombies. We have a lot of song. freedom when you're doing instrumental titles, right? It doesn't yeah, need 
there's no lyric right. you have to tie it to, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be that serious about it, you know, yeah. unless, unless you want to. I mean, The Odd Father is a total play on words, given the whole Italian uh, theme there. Right. Um, yeah, that that's. Uh, it, it was originally called the Chin, and um, the the Chin was uh, actually a New York mobster that. Uh, and they also called him the odd father and so i thought that was great okay and, you know i i don't know if i should say this on uh on this and we can ask her but it was like somehow through the ancestry and everything my wife found out that she might be related to the to this guy that's how it all stemmed <laughs> and i was like oh the chin that's cool and it's like all right you know and one day i don't know i was in the studio actually it was when mike was tracking drums and i just did like a wiki on him and I was explaining like where, and all of a sudden it said also known as the odd father and like Jimmy T and Mike were like, that, that's so much better. That's like the name, you know, that's cool. because it, it, it gives the whole feeling of that song is like this kind of Italian theme. Godfather thing starts out with the, a sound that's, um, you know, almost like supposed to be like the mandolin type of thing. Right. And so odd father was the, the perfect play on words. Um, well, I want to talk about also the production for a minute because the sound on this record is amazing. And Thank it's you. really clean, really powerful up front. Mm. Talk about the production a little bit and uh, how much goes into getting all the sounds. Are you so zoned in on what sounds you need at this point in your career that it's sort of you can nail it kind of quickly? Right. Well, I mean, I credit the sound of this record first to Jimmy T who uh, engineered and recorded everything and also to Andy Sneap who mixed it. Um, and Jimmy T, um, I, we met a while back uh, in, in uh, our dream theater um, camp and he has kind of risen up in the ranks and actually uh, engineered distance over time and did fantastic job with that. Yeah. That album sounds and, amazing. Yeah. 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 So he engineered it. Um, he, you know, we have a relationship where, we've experimented with different microphones and preamps and stuff like that, you know, largely due to the distance over time sessions. And, you know, so he knew where to go right away with capturing the guitar sound. And because of that, it really wasn't that hard as far as the guitar right. sound. It's kind of like I've developed this signature gear that I'm so fortunate to have, you know, my signature Ernie Ball music band guitars, my signature boogie amp and, when I plug into that and play through that, that's my sound. So it's up to the engineer to capture that. And again, because of the relationship and experience we've had, he was able to do that. Um, even, you know, capturing the drum sounds. I mean, that the actual, it's funny. It's like, it's actually my drum kit that Mike played on. Oh, really? Um, yeah. He brought in some other pieces and, and that he wanted to add to it. Um, and, you know, Jimmy T mic'd it up. Mike started playing. It sounded like Mike. And uh, he captured a great sound. And then from there, uh, this was my first time working with Andy Sneap. Um, been a, a big fan of his production style. And he's in the UK. So this was like remote where, you know, I sent him the music and we communicated uh, through uh, FaceTime and, and texting and yeah, you can creating do it. files. I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. It's wild. Right. And he did a phenomenal job just like taking you know, this music that was recorded extremely well by Jimmy T and bringing it to the level that you hear uh, 
when you listen to it. And he also mastered the album. Um, this was the first time I've worked with a mix engineer who's also the master engineer, mastering engineer. And that was really cool because, you know, we could do things where if there was something in the mix that he wasn't getting out of the mastering stage, he could go back to the mix, make some adjustments and then, you know, remaster. So that was really helpful. And again, uh, kudos to Andy. Did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Sounds awesome. Is it hard for you being um, thought of as, uh, you know, like a guitar icon and and have so many fans all over the world that that hold you so high up there, um, to feel pressure to l play the next craziest thing <laughs> or to play something faster or you know. Right. Or, you know, how do you block all that influence out and just, just stick to what you want to do? Gotcha. Um, well, I mean, first of all, that's really, you know, I'm humbled by that. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I've said this a lot. I love playing guitar. I consider myself a student of guitar. And there are so many incredible players out there. They're getting younger and younger. So, you know, that the world of, of electric guitar has just exploded. It's, you know, what people are doing is like insane. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not, if anything that becomes inspiring, uh, it, it's not like a competitive thing, um, but it's an inspirational thing. And if any, if there's any pressure put on me, um, maybe this sounds cliche, but I, I think I put it on myself. Um, and the reason is because I'm always trying to, um, you know, go somewhere where I haven't before with either the music or the sound or the production or the songwriting or, you know, the licks and everything. It's like, I want to keep myself interested. Uh, I don't want to get lazy and just play the same lick and solo I did before, you know. I put that pressure on myself because it makes, I don't know, it makes the process more interesting. It makes guitar playing more fun to like constantly have challenges. Um, and, and I put that pressure on myself. Now, you know, having said that, certainly watching uh, all these players out there doing amazing stuff, you know, it definitely keeps you on your, your game and on your, on your toes for sure. I mean, the last thing I want to do is release a record and be like, uh, eh. Right, and he yeah. got lazy. Like it's not true. It's like I'm always gonna try like 120. percent Like well, now you see all these. Uh, I mean, the day after the video yeah. for Terminal Velocity came out, there were people on YouTube that had already learned it and you know tried to vi you know put yeah. out videos of them doing it, which is crazy. Yeah, it was actually within a couple of hours, which is even more <laughs> wild. <crazy>. Yeah, <laughs> you know because it, it it's funny. It, you know, it's, it doesn't matter. You you think to yourself, everybody has their own thresholds and you might think to yourself, like, this is the most wicked thing I've ever come up with. And then literally two hours later, somebody is playing it and, you know, is smiling. And so it, it's, you, you know, you can't think that way. It's fun. It, it's fun to be in uh, part of the guitar community in touch with it, know what's going on, inspired and wowed by the, the talent that's out there. Um, but you know, I think it has to come from a genuine yeah. place. Yeah. Who are who are some of the up and comers, or you know, maybe recent, you know, next generation guys, I guess that that you follow or that you're aware of or um, that you are keep keep an eye on while you're out playing. 
Well, you know, all you have to do is is look at the lineup of my uh, Guitar Universe camp. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of the guys are established for sure. But, um, I mean, look at the collection of talent on there and, and you'll see the names. You know, uh, it's doing an event like that. And even the ones I've done in the past um, with, with, with those players, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's like the level of talent is just like off the hook. It's so cool jamming together, watching guys play and perform, asking questions, trading stories, seeing them teach. Um, it's amazing. So I, I highly recommend people, they can go, uh, you know, through John Petrucci's guitaruniverse.com or through my website, johnpetrucci.com. I sound so like, you know. <laughs> no, hey, people got to find stuff somewhere. Uh, like was there going to be one here. this year? No, you, you, <laughs> was there going to be one this year and it had to be uh, postponed? Yeah, yeah, there was supposed to be one this year. Uh, and, you know, due to the the pandemic, um, this was a difficult decision to make back when we did. Um, but it was the right decision to make. Was yeah, to, sure. Yeah, to postpone. So it's going to happen. Next year, it's in Irvine, California. And um, all of the instructors uh, who were scheduled to be on it, thankfully, said that they would you know adjust their schedules to to make sure that they were there for the uh, rescheduled version so i just i want to ask you a little bit about um what's it like being in this for so for so long and Mm -hmm. maintaining longevity we spoke about that a little bit before about how you know you've you're putting out this record and it's you've been now doing this for a few decades now and maintain Mm -hmm. a really high level of success. And yet you're still doing interviews and, and putting out stuff and every guitar magazine thing that they want to do something or you do it. Um, at what point does it be, is it a job or fun or, you know, to balance that, I think. Right. Well, I mean, part, part of it is a job, you know, it's, it's a career, um driven mindset you know where you sort of look at the big picture of what you're doing what you're trying to do um yes it's fun i mean i get to play guitar for a living not everybody can uh, has that luxury um to do the art that they feel like they were destined to do to make that into a career i'm I'm really fortunate to be able to do that um to be successful at anything um you know you you have to put that kind of work in you know, um, it's just, it's part of it. So the best thing is to have a good attitude about it, you know, try to take advantage of the tools that are developed and at your, um, at your fingertips to, to, uh, try to make this as successful as you can, you know, and that's always been my mentality. And while you're doing it to do it in such a way where you keep the quality level up to something that you can always be proud of, you know, and, um, you know, I, I like am fans of, um, you know, people that have done amazing things, uh, that are groundbreaking, you know, whether it was Walt Disney or whether it's Elon Musk or whether it's Steve jobs or, you know, it's like, I, I like that mentality of, and, and I am in no way associating myself. <laughs> at any level, but I look up to what they, you know, that mentality, which is this driving creative, you know, um, passion 
to like keep pushing and to try to do things better and better um, and, and keep that level up and never like let that fall to the wayside. Right. I love that. That's really inspiring. When you were starting out playing, right, everybody starts out playing in their bedroom or in their garage with some friends and that kind of thing. And at that point, when you're younger, I guess the it's just I got a good guitar. I got an amp. Mm. That's it. I'm, right. I'm out. I'm I'm a guitar player. But at some yeah. point, all the gear and all the then the maintenance and then the rehearsing and the and then getting down to the right string and the right guitar pick, you know, all the minutia that's mm-hmm. develops along the way. At what point do you become professional and that right. stuff starts to become really important on a, on a daily basis, almost as much as just the playing side. You, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's sort of a next level you have to cross over to be right. Have a consistent sound and have a, this, and you start developing that. Yeah, sure. I mean, when you're first starting out, you're, you're, there is a lot of experimentation with different gear and different ways of doing things. And, you know, you, you learn by experience and you make mistakes and you figure out what you like and what you don't like and what you shouldn't do. And, you know, tape your cables down when you're on stage because you can easily step on them and they'll come out, whatever they are. Um, and for me, you know, as well, I was always into, and some people are into that more than others, you know, but I was always into the gear side, like and how um, your physicality is, uh, is influenced by what you like uh, as far as an instrument. Um, and how guitar players are so sensitive to that, but how a guitar feels and the action and the neck size and right. what the body is made of and how heavy the instrument is. And then, you know, um, also that turns into like a tone thing. And my whole thing is about having a tone mission, which is my company name right. um, and about your journey that you go on. Uh, and, and that's more of like a sound thing. So it's like, what kind of amplifier you enjoy playing through or, you know, now fast forward, what kind of plugins or modeling, whatever it is. Um, and so it's like, again, some people are more into that than others. I've always been super, super into that. So I, that's another side of my career that I developed, like working with the companies that make this incredible gear, you know, whether, and, and, and I've used forever and have been around forever you know whether that be dunlop demarzi or any ball music and boogie tc electronic i mean and getting to work with them and work with the brilliant engineers and their art teams and their innovators to you know figure out whatever i'm hearing in my head or whatever i want to feel turn that into a piece of musical gear that not only helps me achieve my tone mission but that can help other people out there as well um And that, you know, to kind of answer your question, it's a roundabout way. It's like something that happens over time. I'm not, it's something I was always into, Mm -hmm. but I don't know where it crossed, you know, into where it sort of becomes part of part of my professional career. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the beginning, it's just things you're trying and you latch onto something because it could be a guitar pick and that's the thing you like, but where does it cross into, okay, I get to work with the company that makes that guitar pick to just make it a little bit different from my needs. Yeah. Um, it, it happened to, over time. It happened as a result of thankfully of, of success and experience. Um, 
but yeah, it de definitely was a gradual thing. So, so the first time we had you on, uh, actually, it wasn't the first time, but it was a, a for a distance over time with um, yeah with you and Jordan. I had you guys on for one of our top five episodes where we where I had you guys pick your top five prog instrumentals and it was over about an hour and a half. And that was fantastic. Right. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to put you through that whole thing this time and because I, I right. just wanted to speak to you about the record. But I did give you a task to, to think about your top five Dream Theater guitar solos. Mm. So I wanted to see if you uh, had any in mind that we could mention. Right. Um, you know... It, it's uh we put out a lot of a lot of music there's a lot of solos um and uh I, i'm proud of many of them i enjoy playing them live um and, and the ones that i might mention might be kind of typical but they sort of stand out to me one of them is under a glass moon you know, for uh, the longest time, I, I yeah. saw that one highlighted in guitar magazines. Yeah. It was, yeah, right. and it's it's an amazing one. But I always yeah. found it like, how, because at the time, you guys weren't Dream Theater yet, you know. Right. And I always thought, wow, it's great that they found this guitar and <laughs> that it's getting some attention. Right, right. I, I just kind of remember, there was something about that solo and that, that some of my soloing approaches are more improvised. And that was a very like constructed type of solo. And uh, I don't know, it just, it came out really interesting. At the time, I was just, was going to all these different places uh, in that one solo. And and just like, sometimes that happens and you turn around, you listen to it, you're like, eh, that's not that good. Well, that was and the first time like, I had heard the yeah. sort of whammy bar. Right, right. Thing, that growling sound that it yeah. produces or whatever. I'd right. never heard that before. Oh, uh, that's funny. I, I remember I picked that up from... Uh, watching um when brad gillis was playing uh with ozzy and he was doing that sound or, oh, really? or was he i didn't doing, know he did Night that Ranger. that's yeah. cool yeah 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 but um i don't know i just put all these things together and 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 when i listened back i was like that's kind of cool like it's, it just was like this interesting thing to me and uh it turned out to be fun to play live and everything else yeah uh any other ones that you remember um another one uh Let's see. Um, there's a solo in in the best of times um, that just, you know, it, it's uh, a, a song that uh, Mike Portnoy had written the lyrics about his father passing away and the the story behind that. It was all fresh and new, so it was a very emotional time, and it was just I don't know. When I listen back to that solo, there's something about it that's special. Um, yeah I, yeah I would have mentioned yeah. that one too actually yeah so that that's a favorite um it's not a song that we played live but um it's 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 a moment that uh I'm proud of for sure that's awesome all right well I'll let you get off the hook with those two because I think that's pretty, all right. All right. <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> listen uh let's uh recap terminal velocity comes out October 28th on streaming you can pre-order it now go to johnpetrucci.com for all the info uh, and get uh, your physical uh, CD or vinyl for October 30th. And um, I guess Dream Theater will be heading into the studio soon to work on a new record, right? That's what we will. Next. We will. We, that wasn't the plan initially, but like, um, you know, most bands, everybody's trying to figure out how to uh, how to adapt and pivot to what's going on. And, you know, we it the future of touring is definitely uncertain as to when that will pick up and resemble what we're all used to. 
Um, and it's, uh, you know, it could be a year from now. It could be longer. It could be shorter. Certain countries are starting to do things right. with social distance uh, concerts and drive-in concerts. But, you know, with all of that in mind, we decided the best thing for us to do, you know, is not sit around and wait, but to make music. So we're going to make new music. We're going to go in in the fall and start working on a new record. I'm sure it will not be out, you know, until considerably into uh, 2021. Yeah, right. But we'll start work on it in the fall for sure. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks, man. It was a pleasure right. to talk to you. And, Always. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Good luck on the record. I'm sure it's going to be uh, great for once everybody gets it. They'll love it. Cool. I hope so. Looking <laughs> looking forward to getting that music out like, like the plan called for. <laughs> yep. All right, cool. buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. Bye. Bye. Thanks to John for the interview. For more information, please check johnpetrucci.com. Terminal Velocity is out on August 28th on all streaming services and on CD and vinyl on October 30th. For upcoming news and interviews, please check parkreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at the Park Report on Twitter and Instagram. Download the podcast on all our podcast networks and follow us on YouTube. Thanks. Thanks.